Hey, business owners, ever wondered what happens when you take a payment? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through currency converting, security asserting, business supporting, real-time reporting, e-com providing, or expert advising, <laughs> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To find out more, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services, DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. The Big Tech Podcast, in proud association with Magnet Networks. Connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wackler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, with thanks to Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland. Thank you to Magnet for sponsoring this podcast. I'm joined in studio today by Fergal O'Connor, who's the deputy business editor of the Sunday Independent, and by Michael Cogley, who's a business, a business correspondent, the business correspondent <laughs> in the Sunday Independent. Let me tell you a story, guys. Picture the scene. It's nine o'clock in a bar in a corner of Shenzhen, a Chinese city. There's a couple of middle-aged Westerners messing around with a couple of guitars in the corner. Now, they're trying rock ensembles, but they're struggling with the vocals. So I happen to be there. I wander over to them and I say, is that the Beatles? And before they can object, before they can do anything, I belt out a volley of Paul McCartney as they keep strumming, right? It takes. Within a few minutes, we're actually jamming, okay? A makeshift expat band drinking weak imported beer in a cranny of the world's fastest growing city in a nexus of China's economic boom. And we're not bad either. We, we belt out a rendition of Hey Jude. Brings, give us a little... Brings the bar... No, 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 I'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> it brings the bar's Chinese drinkers to their feet, okay, in chorus. As they walk out the door. So the guy <laughs> who I originally approached, he's a 50-something Australian with a shaved head. He turns to me and says, you've got a good voice, man. And so I thank him. Now, from a, a snatch of overheard conversation earlier on, I gleaned that he had some role in Huawei. Now, Huawei was the company that I was over in China to actually look into. What I don't know is that he's Paul Scanlon. He's the chief technology officer of Huawei. I had no idea that he'd be there. I didn't know, really know who he was. Of all the bars in all the world, I walk in and start jamming with the guy who literally has all of the answers that I and every Western journalist wants to ask. So, needless to say, I ask, can we have a formal interview? He says, fine, then, but the next morning, serious business back, we belt into another volley of, uh, of let it be. Of all the bars in all the world. <laughs> Seriously. Is that Huawei's uh, new policy with Trump? Let it be? <laughs> ah, touche. <laughs> now, I don't know whether it's coincidence. I don't know whether it's serendipity. But we're going to talk today a little bit about Huawei and about China. I was there for a week. I got to see things that most other Western journalists don't get to see. Um, I should say from the outset, we paid for this trip ourselves. We didn't take any flights or hotel accommodation from Huawei, just in case any smart ass decides to tweet me and say, you know, you've been bought by Huawei or you've, you've accepted the gifts. We didn't. This was all paid for by us, but it was an opportunity that we couldn't really turn down because Huawei is the most controversial tech company in the world. And I was kind of blown away by what I saw, I have to say. I got quite decent access, including that fluky, serendipitous access to the chief technology officer. And we'll come on to what he told me um, uh, in a while. Um, but I want, to, I want to talk about this. And I want to talk about whether Huawei, whether we're worried about Huawei as a security risk, whether Donald Trump in the US is right, whether the, the kind of the, uh, the Daily Telegraph side of things in the UK is right, or whether the Europeans and are right to be calm about this and whether we should believe Huawei executives and quite a few tech analysts to say, look, this is really just part of a, a wider uh, trade war between uh, the US and China. Any thoughts? Well, what, I, I was, what, what blew you away? Was it because I suppose we have this uh, 
growing mm. up we've 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 grown up with Chinese goods coming into uh, yep. Ireland and Europe and the US <laughs> and kind of taking mm. over but we have this idea that it's uh, quite a, a a low end type of manufacturing what what does Huawei ma- manufacturing look like so forget every image you might have about a Chinese tech facility like forget notions of thousands of workers bent over on a production line with some cross-looking supervisor with a clipboard you know or a whip watching their every move you know forget the bland gray factory buildings and the bikes and the low wages I'll give you an idea and a snapshot of the campus site where I spent most of my time. They built a new research and development campus, and I can only describe it as being like a cross between uh, Disneyland Las Vegas and uh, Google's Californian campus. Imagine if Intel, Facebook, and Snapchat built a brand new huge campus on the edge of Blanchardstown, right? But instead of the normal shiny tech buildings, they decided to pick European castles and well-known kind of French, Italian, and Germanist uh, historical landmarks as the buildings. Now multiply that by two. Now imagine that that whole thing is perched next to a city that itself resembles a kind of a, a fusion between, say, Dubai and Hong Kong, except it's about three times the size and keeps adding a million new people every year, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm thinking as I'm walking through this R&D Huawei campus in, which is just north of Shenzhen, Shenzhen, by the way, has a really interesting connection to Ireland. 40 years ago, it was a coastal fishing village about the size of Athlone. And then a Chinese delegation went from Shenzhen to Shannon, including the future leader of China, to see how a special trade zone works. Pictures, black and white pictures of these uh, local Clare guys with big mad heads on them and the, the Chinese guys standing upright in the suits. 40 years later... So they went back and they built Shenzhen. 40 years later, has 20 million people. They're adding about a million people every year. Um, yeah. I, was stand, I was at the top of one of the tallest buildings in the world there uh, thinking about I, all this. I saw your photograph and it's mm. uh, skyscrapers endlessly into the distance. Endless skyscrapers. And as you look through, it's naturally bounded by mountains, and, but there's gaps in the mountains. There are valleys. And as you look through the gaps about 10 miles away, you can see that there are another huge stretch of skyscrapers goes out the other side. It's like nothing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that loan, actually, yeah. because I don't know if you recall back in uh, 2012, I think it was, President uh, Z came. Uh, yeah. Uh, but before, uh, that may not have been 2012, actually, did, but in 2012, mm-hmm. there was uh, a plan uh, put forward in in and around Athlone to create this uh, European trading hub mm. for mm. Chinese companies. Mm. And it would have been, the plan was incredibly ambitious and it was like, at the time it was 175 million, it was going to be 1,200 jobs. And I remember the debate at the time was all about could, because we were coming out of a very dark Session. economic period mm. and the debate was, could the Chinese uh, be our saviours? Kickstart. Uh, and kickstart this kind yeah. of huge new... Uh, type of foreign direct what investment. Happened to that? It just disappeared. And it, it uh, but Chinese investment hasn't disappeared in Ireland. This, this I suppose, mm. makes this whole topic, it's not just relevant to us as consumers, it's yeah. also relevant to us in terms of industrial policy because I think l- last year, Chinese FDI rose by over 200% in Ireland. So it's it's still way, way behind well, the US. we talk about Chinese investment, I mean, let's talk about Huawei again. So Huawei has, they say, they've invested over 30 million in R&D in Ireland. They've got three bases here. I think it's three, two or three. They employ about 170 people. They have a big research and development facility here. They're mad into hurling for some reason. I, sp- I speak to, there's a guy called G.J. Shen, who's the head of Huawei in Ireland. I've met him a couple of times. Young guy. Actually, he's not that young. I thought he was in his 20s. He's actually 37, he told me. Chinese people look pretty young, uh, pretty youthful. Um, uh, but uh, they, there's quite a lot of investment uh, from Chinese companies. But that's part of the whole thing that critics of Huawei and critics of China say as well, is that they're, they're playing this long game. They're trying to get into Western markets and they're mm. trying to um, you know, lull us into a false sense of security. Now, this, this is, I'm paraphrasing here what I hear 
Yeah, critics say. Great empires have always looked at colonization <laughs> in, in a way, and uh, the Chinese yeah. are doing it their way. They're, they're doing it through Africa. There's massive mm. Chinese investment <clears throat> right through Africa. Mm. Uh, they're now doing it in Europe, but the is US has done it Is too. it fair to call it colonization? It's maybe... Um, it's a colloquial term. It is yeah. a colloquial term, and it's a, it's a, maybe a flippant term, but mm. I suppose what it does is if there's big uh, investment from a country like China, a powerful country like China, into a small country yeah. like Ireland, it starts to make Irish uh, politicians and policymakers have to not just look to the US mm. when they consider mm. these type of trade wars. They also have to have a, a little eye on mm. uh, our Chinese friends. And so we have to play our famous uh, kind of neutrality game. Do we keep an eye on our Chinese friends through WhatsApp and Facebook and Twitter? Because as soon as you cross the border from Hong Kong into Shenzhen, that all disappears. I actually, it was bizarre. I I wasn't expecting how severe the Great Firewall of China was going to mm. be when I crossed the border from Hong Kong into Shenzhen. Now, luckily, I had a Hong Kong SIM card in one of my phones. And once you have a foreign-based SIM card, you can still get access to those services, but hotel Wi-Fi, cafe Wi-Fi, local SIM cards, local internet accounts, it's just not there. You, and you, it, you, it's only when you arrive in China and you try to start looking up YouTube, Google Maps, uh, Google Search, mm. Gmail, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, that you realize how much of your life, how much of your information actually comes from these apps. Is it all replaced by kind of indigenous Chinese it's versions of... replaced, quote-unquote. Actually, no, I'm going to take back that sarcastic quote-unquote because it is replaced by Chinese logos. So the two big services over there of the ones that I've mentioned there are Baidu, which mm. is the equivalent of Google, Baidu Maps, and WeChat, which is essentially like a cross between WhatsApp, Apple Pay, and Stripe. So WeChat is very like WhatsApp. Mm. It's used by everybody, but it can also be used to pay for almost anything. There were times when I was trying to hail a, a taxi down and I couldn't because they wouldn't take cash. They would only take payment over WeChat. You connect it to your bank account and you can pay for almost anything mm. using WeChat. Um, that's kind of something that's happened in Western companies as well. A lot of kind of US companies like Facebook and um, even Apple as well are trying to get payments into their messaging services yeah. as well. Um, so yeah, I can totally understand. We're more reluctant trend. because we already have things like MasterCard and Visa and we now tap to pay and mm. Apple Pay is really just connecting your credit card to your phone. But actually the main conduit is still your credit card via, yeah. that, via that account. Whereas over there, it's they're just way ahead. They're way ahead in, 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 in a number of things. The other things that struck me when I was in, just in Shenzhen, wider Shenzhen, city of 20 million people of hundreds, if not thousands of skyscrapers, is all the cars are, all the public cars are electric. The entire taxi fleet is electric. Mm. Um, all the buses are electric. And they have their own brands of cars and supercars that I'd never heard of before. There's a brand called NIO, N-I-O. And they had an electric supercar there that looks a little bit like a McLaren. Yeah. Sells for about a quarter of the price of a McLaren. This is all about, I suppose, the the, the economic history of China yeah. recently has been about the um, the move from the countryside, uh, from poor subsistence mm. type farming, etc., into uh, a more urban society. Mm. The middle class has moved. A creation of a middle class, but from what you're describing, and even the way they go in terms of tech, um, it's like they have created a middle class, but they've they've nearly jumped ahead of us um, in terms of how all of the, how the everything around that works. How how we we have set up a middle class yeah. in the Western world that lives its life a certain way mm. in terms of consumerism, but the Chinese have created a new middle class that has jumped way ahead of that and now we're following them. Well, I'll say this. Shenzhen has a very different flavor of communism to the one I grew up reading about, okay? There are Mercedes, Teslas, Porsches everywhere. McDonald's, Starbucks, Apple stores uh, line the streets. Local developers build apartment blocks and become a millionaires over kind of 30, 40 stories. The average wage, I was told, in Huawei's R&D facility is around $75,000. Now, that figure is, is disputed a little bit, but it absolutely needs to be that high because property prices, in, like 
Get this, what I'm about to say. Property prices in Shenzhen. This is supposed to be a communist country. They've gone through the roof. A two-bedroom apartment in a reasonable part of the city will easily cost you three or 400,000 euro. You, you need those wages. I mean, if this is communism, it's a flavor <coughs> that I think Johnny Ronan could easily but I, with. I think uh, Chinese communism a long time ago, maybe back at the time of Tiananmen Square, learned that it needed to adapt and it has there's such there's over a billion people in china 1.4 billion uh, so they the the party i think realized that they needed to keep those people happy if they wanted their system of economics to survive so you even see that in terms of how they're dealing with climate change mm. they're very it's a very practical approach that they take mm. uh, they they go for all the renewable uh technologies uh so mm. They're doing what they need to do to make their system survive, even if that means changing their systems. See, what, what, the other thing that impressed me from a geopolitical point of view, and this does come back to Huawei and that issue and that company, seeing all of this economic activity and how quickly they have advanced, like just to remember, Huawei is probably the first major Chinese company that has been a breakout company that is ultra competitive uh, in global markets. Ultra competitive is in, they're in 180 countries. They're now the leader in 5G mobile networks technology in terms of those networks. Most telecoms analysts will agree with that statement. It's the first time a Chinese company has ever really broken out mm. to, to do that. Now, what does that mean for the rest of the world? What does that mean for the, for the states? What does it mean that Shenzhen is a city that gets to 20 million people in you know 30 years and we'll get to another 20 million people probably in the next 20 or 30 years when it's hooked up with Hong Kong and Macau when Hong Kong reverts over to China fully in 2047. I'm looking at this and what I experienced when I was over there both walking around the campus in Huawei a company that only started in 1987 in Shenzhen a city that only started in 1980 and looking at all these Porsches and all this wealth and all these companies the Americans are looking at this and going these guys are coming for us. I mean, we have dominated the global economy for 50 years. There is absolutely no way that's going to continue for the next 50. There is no way. Now, to me, this was all, all theoretical exercise in an economist's column before. Now, having seen it on the ground, I can tell you, I really don't think the U.S. concerns over Huawei are really about security. This, to me, looks very much like we have got to somehow put some sort of straighteners on uh, Chinese companies um, or at least make things better for our own companies and, and get our own companies into China and use Huawei as a leverage for, mm. for a trade deal because the pace at which the Chinese uh, are, are, are uh, mm. growing is like nothing I've ever seen before. But it's not news to the US either. I mean, even Trump yeah. on his campaign trail, there was like, you know, YouTube clips mm -hmm. where they cut him saying China, China, China yep. over and over again. Um, he's raised it as a significant threat for, for a very, mm -hmm. very long time. But I, I think even beyond China and the, the whole, the movement of the US from the East Central Economic Hub of the world, I think the, the rise of the internet and the decentralization of, mm. of most things now means that there's threats coming from all over the place. Um, and I think, yeah, you're probably right. They're, they're looking at China as the one major one at the moment. Mm. But even if they do solve this and even if, you know, they manage to get what they what they desire at this trade war, um, then they still have a whole lot of other threats that are going to disrupt their 50 years, like you were saying, in terms mm. of things going forward you have a lot of like new um kind of tech hubs coming out of london as well a lot of new kind of fintech companies a lot like there's companies popping up all over the world that are dealing with huge amounts of transactions there's even irish companies doing the same thing as well so i think what was once kind of monopolized by u.s banks and mm. other massive u.s institutions and including like if you want to go more specific into tech you look at apple like huawei almost like you say almost overnight in the in the grand scheme of things managed to just jump right up there, right up there into the top three and just say, yeah, we're disrupting I think what pisses the Americans off, and I can understand their frustration on this particular thing, is that they aren't allowed to compete properly in the Chinese market. I'll go back to WhatsApp and WeChat. I couldn't mm. use WhatsApp when I was in the States. WeChat has grown up over the last few years to become, to equal WhatsApp mm. in terms of functionality, uh, in terms of, and actually surpass WhatsApp because you know, in, in terms of payment uh, ecosystem now uh, as well. Mm. That was only really made possible because the Chinese kept WhatsApp and Google and fi Facebook out of, out of the country. Now, they did it for their own censorious reasons, mm. uh, and we'll come on to that 
um, in a minute. But if I'm America, I'm and I'm even or Europe, but particularly America, because that America is still the tech leader. Mm. I'm looking at China and I'm looking at the internet and I'm thinking to myself, this is not fair. Yes, you guys have more people, but you're you're hacking your way to the top here. You're preventing us mm. from our world leading services getting into your country. But now you want to export all your world leading uh, uh, services to us. So I can understand there. Mm. By the way, talking about lack of WhatsApp. We can't do a full podcast about, you know, Huawei and China. Let's say China more than Huawei without talking about that uh, atmosphere there of censorship and information. Now, it's a very, it's a kind of a complex thing because I couldn't get access to those services. That really irritated me. I got the impression from talking to local Chinese people, and I talked to quite a few, that it didn't irritate them. But then we got on to other things. Like I started asking questions like, uh, well, where do you get your news? Where do you get your information? Like when I was there, the 30th anniversary of a student protest in a place called Tiananmen Square was, was being marked, but not in China. Do I looked through all the papers, all the news uh, bulletins on TV, not one mention of it. Mm. I asked a group of 20-somethings about it in a bar. None of them had ever heard of it. Well, I think, and uh, we can't discuss China uh, this week in particular without uh, referencing what's going on in Hong, Hong Kong. Kong and the brutality of the scenes coming from the streets of Hong Kong mm. where you've got um, people of all ages, you've got... Uh, elected politicians, you've got uh, business leaders, you've got all sorts of people and they're being battened down, there's mm. tear gas um, and technology comes into that as well and it, it shows the it's, it shows kind of the dark side of technology and how technology has become a weapon. There's a, a, there's a story today about um, a, a administrator of a telegram group that uh, yeah. That and Telegram is is the app that it's an encrypted messaging app. It's yeah. a, because it's encrypted. Uh, I think the Hong Kong protesters are tending to use it. And this group was giving advice about dealing with tear gas attacks from police. He's been arrested, um, and there's censorship going on. And, and that and that's how China deals. That's the dark side of the Chinese story. Because we have talked about this amazing yeah. story about Absolutely. this development. Mm. But there is a dark side. This, this is something that I, I found over and over again when I was there. And I'm absolutely happy to talk about the economic miracle uh, that I saw and, and Huawei, the kind of some of the technology I saw there was unbelievable. Like I was on their production line for the P30 phone, they, it, which pumps out a new complete 1000 euro phone every 28 seconds. The technology they're using is absolutely incredible to do that. So their R&D budget is absolutely massive. And yet at the same time, my my VPN, my virtual private network, just did not work. Because and I I had paid for this. So shout out by the way to ExpressVPN, you losers. Okay, <laughs> because I paid you money and it didn't work. I then contacted you by the way over customer service, and you took a day to come back to me. And then you gave me the excuse, which I will let you off the hook for. You said that. Um, uh, there's a general problem with VPNs last week because of, quote unquote, the anniversary. Right, so maybe that is an excuse, but it, just to show how sophisticated the Chinese are. And there were other reports that anyone who was sharing photos of what was going on in Hong Kong over WeChat, for example, would have their accounts suspended. Mm. So make no bones about it that when you live in China and you use these uh, electronic networks, you know, you are being monitored. But then again, is that actually that? Is it just that they're more blatant about it? Because do you yeah. believe that if you use Gmail or Facebook that GCHQ in the, in the UK and oh, yeah, NSA and yeah. aren't, aren't reading what you're writing? I, I think, uh, look, at you, you've delved in this issue an awful lot in terms of whether or not your phone is listening to you. But even beyond that, mm. uh, the idea of the data that's in your WhatsApp messages and in your Facebook messages to even be used on a, on a much more placid level is the potential for those to be used as advertising, you know, you can't help but think that there is a suspicion there. And then for it to be done at a state level, um, yeah, it's not... That's more than a suspicion. I mean, the whole Edward Snowden thing six, seven years ago where he he laid out in graph form, these were leaks, slides Mm. from the NSA showing how US intelligence authorities actually uh, get into, you know, Google, Facebook, Mm. uh, Yahoo, Microsoft and routinely, you know, hack 
communications. Yeah. We all know that was happening. I had Declan Ganley on the podcast a few months ago. Now, he's a massive critic of Huawei. He thinks that yes, he they're part of a, you know, a, a state machine. I played devil's advocate to that and I challenged him on uh, some of those uh, issues. But um, the his his point was essentially that uh, this is all part of uh, you know a, one big state apparatus, and uh, I said, well, how do you feel then about the Snowden leaks? Do you, are you worried that the Americans aren't you worried that the Americans are reading our stuff as well? And his point essentially was not as much because I trust the Americans more than I trust the Chinese, which mm. is a fair point probably. But even I mean, it's it's. It's an incongruous one, but it's a fair one. But we had on a, a much lower level last week, or maybe it was even earlier this week, the La Liga app. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's kind of, it's almost like, I think they were fined 250,000 for an app that essentially recorded Incredibly to try and find story. out where the illegal streams were happening yeah, in Spanish yeah. pubs. By tapping your phone. By tapping your phone, essentially. And like a 250,000 euro fine for, for what that was is seems incredibly light. But Very light. For, for a footballing body to be doing that, yeah. It seems extremely naive not to think that a government level, far more sophisticated surveillance is ongoing. Yeah. Um, and the idea that yeah, you trust body A over body B or country A over country B is a based kind of farcical in this particular debate because mm. then you're just picking sides. You're not saying who's right yeah. or who's wrong. You're just saying, actually, I think we're better off if we side with the Americans than the Chinese. Like, on this thing in, the, in the past, countries used to battle for land and, mm. and things like that and an island maybe. Now now countries battle oh, for... Did you say an island? <laughs> let's, <laughs> oh, let's not mention <laughs> the island. But, uh, but now what countries battle for maybe is the hearts and minds of consumers. So the Americans and the Chinese are, are fighting to be dominant in terms of uh, the world economy. Uh, our, you know, will we, do I go and I buy an Apple phone? Do I buy a Huawei phone? The Koreans want me to buy a Samsung phone. They, and it's not, it's not blatant, it's not written, but governments will help their big uh, companies to do that. And we're, we have we all carry these devices around. We don't really know what these governments do or don't do or can or can't do in terms of those devices. They're incredibly powerful devices. So I, I personally, I just work on the basis that they're all listening to me. I kind of do as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they're. I don't think they'd be overly interested in what they hear, though. That's that's the other side of it. Now, one thing I am interested in is just take a little break <laughs> here, just to uh, remind everybody that you're listening to the Big Tech Podcast, the Big Tech Show Podcast, and that is brought to you in association with Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland, and we thank them again for their sponsorship of this podcast. Just to return to my jamming session with Paul Scanlon, the CTO of Huawei. I did go to his office the next morning. We chatted for 30 minutes, then it became 60 minutes, then 90 minutes, then two hours. I will say this, he makes a very articulate case for why the accusations levied against Huawei seem unlikely or tenuous. So he showed me a lot of chalkboard schematics and diagrams and charts. And we, 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 we spoke about technical stuff for most of that time. But I did manage to get a few broad questions about the, the broad points. But his basic point was that Huawei kit, like I asked him point blank, you know, does Huawei have the capability to flick a switch to uh, turn a key feature of a, f- a mobile 5G network off or can it interrupt that service in any way? He basically said, that's almost impossible. And he kind of showed me why. He said that one of the most underrated factors in a network is the operators themselves. The operators actually hold most of the levers to most of the controls over what's going on. Now, that's his side. I said to him, playing a devil's advocate, yeah, but you would say that, wouldn't you? Mm. Uh, anyway. And he said, yeah, I, I, I guess you're right. But he made another point. He said, look, we're in 180 countries. We've been going for, you know, in this business, 25, 30 years. We're now, we now have more 5G mobile contracts than anyone else. If we were doing any of this, there's no question that the Americans or somebody else would have found a back door somewhere. No question. Nobody's found a back door. If anybody did, we'd be out of business. And he made the point that they they kind of are a private company. Yes, they're located in China. 
Yes, their founder, Rang Zhengfei, uh, Mr. Ren, as they call him, is uh, a former uh, Communist Party, um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, army engineer uh, for, for, uh, for, the, for the Chinese army. But then loads of people worked in the Chinese army. Yeah. I mean, you, you, can't, you, you can't, it's very hard to find a tech security company that doesn't have some Israeli. Interesting uh, that uh, he, he's uh, at a very high level in the mm. company, that they have Westerners at, at oh, such yeah. a high level. Mm. Um, that, you know, he's of, been living there for 11 years. There's another guy who I spoke to, I met, he's a Donegal expat, a guy called Joe Kelly, a former journalist, and he is now the vice president for corporate communications there. I sat down and had a chat with him as well, very interesting guy, very interesting personal story. He's lived there for uh, six or seven years, um, well regarded in the company. That did surprise me as well. I did have this impression. There were so many impressions I had going into both China and Huawei about how it would be set up and how the whole place would look. Mm. And it really wasn't what uh, what I thought it would be at all. It mm. was a, a real eye opener. Um, would I live there? I don't know. <laughs> Would I go back for a holiday? I'm not sure. Um, but it was probably one of the most, certainly one of the most amazing tech trips I've been on in the, in the last decade. Mm. More of an eye-opener than almost any of the American companies I've been to. Did at any point they kind of um, explain their surge in the smartphone market and where, where they came from to mm. where they are now? I mean, like from a... You know, from a layman's perspective, looking in, it seems like they were like the Man City, just spending lots and lots mm. of money and buying up these companies that were doing extremely exciting things. They do make great phones, and then bundling them all together to make one terrific. Smartphone. Yeah, there's the corporate jargon answer that they give you to that, which is it's all about innovation, what the customer wants, and blah 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 blah. And everybody says that. Mm. Um, I mean, I've been covering the smartphone market since it was birthed, essentially. I pretty much have all the phones. Uh, I do use a Huawei P30 Pro. Uh, as well as a Samsung S10 Plus and, and uh, iPhone uh, 10s Max um, as alternates. Right now I'm using the, the P30 Pro for the camera. Um, but no, they didn't specifically address why they think they had risen so quickly. But to give some context, they are by far the fastest growing phone company in Europe mm. by a million miles. Mm. They're number two globally now behind Samsung and ahead of Apple. Mm. But this ban that the US has put on them where essentially banning American companies, including Google and Qualcomm and Facebook from doing substantive business with Huawei could totally destroy that. I mean, that mm. is a point I did put to them, a question I asked, don't you think that your global smartphone business is in trouble? And they kind of acknowledge the point, but they insist that they have something big coming down the line. They wouldn't tell me what. Mm. There's something, some big announcement coming down the line. I think they've just applied to, for a patent for their own OS. So yeah, I presume that's the theory. The theory is that they're going to go their own way based on a, that they're going to uh, independently find a way to you to get big developers like Facebook to be able to put the same apps on their phones and mm. bypass Google services. So use a very basic version of Android maybe, which yeah. is the open source version, which they are allowed to still use. Uh, and then go their go their own way. I am skeptical of whether that will work. Mm. I, as a committed Android user, yeah. I've never actually owned an iPhone, um, mm -hmm. so I, I always go for it. Uh, I faced a choice there recently. Uh, I, I was out of contract, and mm. I, you know, there was the Samsung option or the Huawei option, and it was just before all that uh, issue arose, mm -hmm. but. I I know I went for the Samsung option because it just is a more it's a, it seems like a more settled kind of phone and uh, I, well, I just like phone. it. I'm you went comfortable for the S10 Plus, did you? The S10 Plus, so, so an absolutely fantastic phone. Like I, I've played with your Huawei P30, P30 Pro, Pro and it, it's which is, amazing. It's a magnificent phone. But yeah. I I just thought the uh, Samsung it just does it really well. And now with this added mm -hmm. trouble. Next time I'm out of contract, mm. I couldn't see myself going to some kind of light version of Android yeah. that mm. was using some uh, Huawei app store. And given what we talked about mm. earlier in terms of censorship and all of that, th those things, they mightn't impact you, but 
they might. And I don't want to be left with a phone that is kind of locked out of services that I want to use. So um, it's a huge ask for them to do that. It's an absolute I, massive I'm ask. sure that they will continue to capture the Chinese market, but I think... Um, it doesn't matter in China. Their growth Go- Because Google isn't allowed in China anyway. Mm, yeah. So when they sell a, an Huawei phone, see the way I said, an Huawei phone? There was a guy I used to work with in the Sunday Business Post called Kieran Wood. You remember him? I remember Kieran. And yeah. he was a news editor, an English guy, and he always used to chastise me for not using N before H in my copy. It's like Huawei, for example. I'd say a Huawei phone. He said, no. <laughs> it's an Huawei phone. Kieran liked to pick up uh, all the small he mistakes. Did. I used to, I used to always argue great. the toss with him. I used to say that there's a distinct Hiberno-English variant that you're missing here. Kieran said, no, it's just English. Anyway, <laughs> hi, Kieran, if you're listening. Um, it's interesting on, the, on that point, though, the, the fact that, you know, the likes of Google and stuff are banned from China, but... A company like that, and they're not really being focused on the focus of this debate is around Huawei and around the US government. But if you're Google and you've just been told that you can't provide services to the second biggest yeah. phone manufacturer in the world, that's pretty infuriating. And, you Very know, is it, so. is, it, is it at a point where if you're Google, like Google is such an international company now, that would you look to say, mm, do you know what, I don't fancy the, the US regulation regime, I want to be regulated elsewhere? You know, and it's, it's because if, if this turns out to be nothing more than political maneuvering in a trade war, as, as a company of Google size, those kind of moves would infuriate you to no end mm. um, and would maybe ask you to question the political landscape that you're operating in and say maybe, for example, that, you know, our official headquarters should be based in, you know, Dublin or whatever it might be where we can well, be regulated I, elsewhere. Th- there's a strong argument to say that is exactly what's going on. I mean, Trump two and a half weeks ago, essentially said that if a larger trade deal was done between the US and China, that the order banning companies from dealing with Huawei might be rescinded. Yeah. Now, if it's such a, a core security threat, why is he putting it on the table in a trade deal? I mean, it's yeah. a security threat or it's not a security threat. Mm. Like, or are you saying you're willing to trade away your security? It, it, there are a lot of problems with the American position on this. Yeah. I suppose the other issue with the American position is uh, we've got the 2020 election coming. So mm. does the American position on this change and end, you know, end with, if, if Trump were to be beaten, if the Democrats get their act together and and Trump is yeah. done in 2020, do does this just go away and we go back to normal? A bit like the Irish summer well, last theory, year, we had There's a theory that, that that's the, what the Chinese, one theory is that that's what the Chinese think and that's what they're waiting for, that they can, because they don't have elections in that way, <laughs> yeah. that they can wait out uh, the American election. They play the long game. They play the very long yeah. game. Mm-hmm. And if Trump loses, that things go back to normal. But when I spoke kind of casually to people about that in China, that's not the impression I got. They, it's a very different thing. China, do they do think in terms of the long game and they do think strategically. And the impression that I got was that they now believe that there is just an unstable political environment in countries like the US and if it's not Trump then it could come up again mm-hmm. in a few years with another candidate that the larger issue is China's economic rise and that sooner or later that's going to face blowback in the states mm-hmm. and that they are going to have to focus more themselves on self-reliance self-reliance was a phrase i heard over and over and over again this idea that they can't be dependent on american chips from qualcomm or google uh, or you know other components mm. uh, from the U.S. to to to, to let their own uh, industry work. Um, they're Does still it, dependent on U.S. and European cons- maybe not dependent, but uh, they still need U.S. and European consumers to buy the phones if they want to have the sort of success that they're having at the moment or up to this they, point. There are only a handful of companies that need that. Huawei needs it. Lenovo needs it. Um, you would say that companies like Tencent and Alibaba probably don't need it. Don't forget, it's very easy to to forget, this is a country of 1.4 billion people. Now, just to put that in context, that is Europe, the Middle East, most of Africa, Russia, all put together. That's a big market. Mm, Um, The US is, what, 370 million people? So it's 
three to four times the size of the US as a market. Now, it's not as rich. They're not as the average Chinese person isn't as rich mm. as the average American person. But that gap is closing. It will yeah. take 30 years to close. But all they have to do is become, say, half as rich as the Americans to become twice as powerful in, uh, an economic country. That's, I honestly think the Americans are looking at that down the line. That's mm. the impression I get. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other impression I got when I was over there is there is this sense of pride in Huawei in China, like ordinary people, um, you know, regard Huawei the way Americans do Apple as a kind of a mm. sign of Amer or NASA, a yeah. sign of America or a Chinese mm. success on the international stage. They're kind of proud of it. Oh, yeah, I, I totally understand that. I mean, if there was an Irish manufacturer that was producing iPhones um, and it was like an Irish brand and everywhere you went, it was on every single high street um, in the world, that would be, yeah, you'd obviously carry a great sense of, yeah. of pride and patriotism. And Chinese uh, people are, are great business people, oh naturally. Oh, God. Like, you know, and they take great pride. Unbelievably natural entrepreneurs. Yeah. Now, not very empathetic entrepreneurs. Uh, like, I would go into a small shop and I'd ask for something like toothpaste or whatever and it was always very straight no messing but not really smile or you know it, it's a very different way of doing business I found mm. very very agreeable in many ways because you just yeah. there's no nonsense you just get on with things but one that fits into the digital world probably more you than wouldn't want to be looking for left. you know a chat yeah <laughs> yeah you know uh, uh, or a shoulder to to cry on yeah although but you might get fair, a good deal <laughs> you get a very good deal. There's a lot of haggling that goes on. I visited shopping centers that were devoted exclusively to knockoffs and copies. Everything from iPhones and Samsungs down to posh bags. And the funny thing about, there's one big one just over the border from Hong Kong. The funny thing about it was they don't try and hide it. Like It's not like there's a stash of fakes under the, the counter. Mm. Everything is fake and they label each fake as to how good a fake it is. So yeah. there's like, my wife asked me about a particular bag. I was just there, just, I didn't buy it, but I was there just to see what it was like. So I asked about this bag, a mulberry bag. And she said she had a triple A copy of the, of the mulberry bag. So that's, that means good original leather and, and all the rest of <laughs> that it. That you could pretend to your wife that it's no, real. But, but they, their idea of, and it's another big problem, their idea of intellectual property and copyright is yeah. very different to ours. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the big challenge for Chinese industry that mm. they are brilliant at? If, if uh, And I know from talking to Irish companies mm. and manufacturers out there, you give a, set, a blueprint to a Chinese manufacturer, mm. they will do it absolutely brilliantly. Um, to date, they haven't necessarily always, uh, when it comes to R&D and producing their mm. own products, you know, that are really innovative, they haven't necessarily done that. But if you look at things, Huawei is a great example of where they are maybe starting to do that. Uh, oh, I mean, what, to be space, fair? It's space technology. To be fair to Huawei, Huawei would say that they now have more patents for 5G, their own design, their own design, than any other company in, oh. in the world. So they would, that is a problem that uh, dogs, companies like Huawei's, people will say, oh yeah, but you're, you're coming from a, an environment where nobody respects intellectual property. Their answer to that is, okay, historically that might be true, but if you look at actually what we're doing, our phones, our, um, if you look at the, our network technology, we design and invent all this stuff. Imagine what the world economy will look like if Chinese companies across multiple sectors start to deliver on but that. This is, this is my that, point. This is the point I'm making. This is what I think is really behind the American maneuvering. Now, you mentioned the general election. I don't think that punishing Huawei is a vote winner in America. I don't think most mm. people care. In, no. in America. What I do think might be a vote winner that Trump is thinking of is if he can say to the American people, I've opened up Chinese markets for tractors or for mm. uh, more agricultural uh, products or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's Jack Daniel's game. whiskey. Yeah, or I whatever. think that's the long game. Plus yeah. his, his kind of style of negotiation to date has been very much brinksmanship, yeah. uh, bringing the other party right to the very edge mm -hmm. and then hoping that they back down. So that, like, you know, banning the main yeah. Uh, smartphone manufacturer would certainly fall within that remit and then they renegotiate back to a, a softer position afterwards. It's a very dangerous game, I think, though, with China. Like already but the Chinese president, the Chinese <laughs> president is, uh, last month he made a speech 
urging citizens to start thinking about a new long march. Now, the long march was, Chairman Mao used that phrase mm. when the Communist Party was in mm. retreat in the 30s during the Civil War. The long march was a kind of heroic part of their culture and their history and it set the grounds for both Chairman Mao and ultimately for the Communist Party's victory. And he's talking now about a new long march for the people of China to dig in, maybe anticipating hard economic times to mm. come. I get the sense that the Chinese can wait this out longer than the Americans can. So it's a very dangerous game that Trump is playing. If he's mm. forcing the Chinese to retreat into their own uh, country, it's a huge country. Yeah. Like we often talk about America being a single market. Oh, sure, if you make it in America, you don't really need to make it anywhere else. If you make it in China, mm -hmm. you really don't need to make it anywhere else. Yeah. Like, and even saying that out loud, that sounds weird. To, it sounds like a new thought, a new mm. concept. But if you look at the companies that have made it big in China, um, there's a company called BYD, which makes all the taxis there, electric uh, taxis. Mm -hmm. And that, if that, you know, anywhere else in the world, that would be regarded as a Tesla on steroids. Mm. Uh, but it's in China, so we, we don't know about it. But it sorry. It's just it's funny on the the other element of that as well as attitudes of mm. you know Chinese people towards their own tech companies versus American people versus their own companies. Mm. Whereas like one of the most popular um, topics of debate in the political um, election, the upcoming political election is breaking up big tech. I think it's mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren is running off it. Yes, Elizabeth um, Warren as her uh, platform, and like that's just so polarized compared to the support that Huawei seems to be getting mm. um, from its own government, its own backup, yes. and you know. So it's it's almost as if, and you would argue that the vast bulk of grow, economic growth in the decades to come is going to be around technology. Mm -hmm. So maybe the US are, are kind of fearing on a number of levels because their their own people are, are looking at their big tech behemoths and saying, actually, this is a monopoly. This isn't right. Well, I think in America, up. the fear is that the big tech companies are perceived as being bigger than the government themselves and they're too mm. powerful, like Google and Facebook. Whereas in China, first of all, they don't let those companies in. Mm. Uh, and second of all, a company like Huawei, as successful as it is, I don't think anybody thinks that Huawei is even remotely as powerful as the Chinese government within mm. China. So it probably it isn't the same dynamic mm. uh, in terms of that, you know, uh, that fear. Mm. Um, and if there was a fear that Huawei needed to be broken up, I think the Chinese government would do it. Yeah. Without absolutely ceremony, yeah, and I don't yeah, think there's quite a good deal of saying it. <laughs> there's quite a good deal of ceremony going on in the US, but yeah. In the yeah. in the end, though, isn't the real danger with all of this as as the years and decades play out? That at the moment we're talking about uh, powerful and stubborn leaders shouting at each other mm. across the oceans about uh, companies and technology and stuff, but. You look at the, the South China Sea, where the, the US and Chinese Navy have every so often spats come up mm. there where um, there's there's incidents that are, you know, below the radar, maybe. At what point does this kind of worsening atmosphere get create a situation where one of those spats can't be sorted out diplomatically or, mm. you know, where... Mm. Are, it's all well and good economics going down the road of shouting at each other, but we we've seen all this before. Like uh, economics uh, in the nineteen twenties was uh, and into the thirties was uh, increasingly causing problems in Europe, and that ended up in us. We all know where that ended up, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, used Volkswagen as his way of bringing the German yeah, people I, I, along. Do you know what? I'm very reluctant to entertain. I'm not saying that you're going down Godwin's law path there, but I'm very reluctant to try and draw comparisons between the 20s and 30s and today or any previous historical period, but to note the lessons in individual things. But to compare this era with that era, I think is... No, I, I'm not I'm not trying to say there's a... a, a, a an exact or even cl close equivalence. I'm just saying that um, as as the atmosphere between these co these big powerful countries worsens, it just means when a real crisis comes along, mm. they are less able to sit down around a table and and yeah. sort those things out. And that's a dangerous thing for the world. It is. It's not. We've seen yeah. it before where things spin out of the control mm. and bad things happen. 
It's, it's not in our interest in the West for China to retreat into itself. It really is. I, I don't think it is. Um, because it then may not feel that it has to engage in multilateralism in mm. uh, a way that maybe it has been in the last 20 years. I mean, uh, to take Huawei as an example, yeah, it has a, a business investment here in Ireland, but they come over here a fair bit. Apparently, they're, as I said before, they're obsessed with hurling. They yeah. become obsessed with hurling. And well, I think it's a great sport. Well, so it's a great sport. A, yeah, I, uh, I, I spend my I spend my weekends yep. at, on hurling sidelines. So <laughs> I think the Chinese yeah. are right on that one. And there's kind of low level low level engagement with the GAA here. But they've been to Crow Park a few times. They make this pilgrimage to Shannon every time they come over. They this now is part of the the Shenzhen historical memory. Shannon is a really important place to people to administrators in Shenzhen. Um, but for them to retreat into themselves, if all that's to, it's only a small thing, but, you know, you won't see them in Crow Park, you won't see them in Shannon. I suppose who cares in the greater scheme of things, but it's small stuff like that. When people start getting together, particularly as Irish people, we're very good mm. at drawing people uh, together and, you know, getting people talking and bringing out a little bit of humanity uh, bring a little bit of humanity to the situation. There's two oh, views of the world. So you, you retreat into your shell yeah. and uh, the Brexit style uh, view of, of things. Mm. Or, um, you know, we saw through the 1990s how um, a lot of um, the kind of traditional problems that had been there were sort of ease. Say, our, between Ireland and the UK, we started mm. to speak properly to each other. We started to. Um, our politicians sat down around tables, you know. Getting all so. historical now. We're getting to a different podcast here. <laughs> I know I kind of sparked it off. That's about all we have time for, though, on this, t- this topic. Thank you very much to Michael Cogley, business correspondent with the Sunday Independent, and to Fergal O'Connor, deputy business editor with the Sunday Independent. And also thank you to Magnet Networks for sponsoring the Big Tech Show podcast, Magnet Networks, which connects businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland. So that is all we have time for. For me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish Sunday Independent. Bye bye for now. The Big Tech Podcast, in proud association with Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland.